Hoofta, those are some sobering realities, I'll tell you what. All right, my name is Eric Lenz, and uh, I'm here today to, to share with you, and, and so thrilled to continue on in this series called Pulled Apart. And as you see from those statistics, uh, we're just taking a, a month here to take a step back and look at our lives with all of the, the technology and the, and the, the connect, constant connectivity with everybody, everywhere, the media, the social media, and everything in between, and see how sometimes this can maybe distract us and pull us apart from the life that we really want to be living. And today I'm going to be talking with you about a distraction that I frequently have, and I feel like it is one of the greatest distractions to render us ineffective as followers of Jesus, and really just as, as people in general. And this is the distraction of inadequacy. Now, I was trying to think of some personal examples where I've experienced this feeling of inadequacy and how it's derailed me or, or it's affected my life. And there are far too many situations to pick from, just like one in my life. I could just talk all morning about that, but I won't. Uh, but it's amazing how we can sometimes feel God's prompting to d invest in somebody's life, to just meet a basic need of someone like, wow, maybe I could just take them some groceries or some brownies or something like that, or pray for somebody, or get involved in a ministry in a different way, or prepare a message to share with a group of people. And then on the heels of this divine inspiration come rushing in, loud and clear, that those voice of inadequacy. You're not good enough. Really? You think God can use you? You're going to invite people over to your house? It's a mess right now. I'm sure our house is the only messy one in here, so that's just for me, I guess. And so these, this undertone of inadequacy can derail us. It can pull us apart from the life that we, that we really want to live, how we want to respond in that situation. And perhaps the most intense place that I've experienced this feeling of inadequacy <clears throat> was growing up. I grew up a uh, pretty big kid, fairly overweight for a lot of my life. And I remember very vividly in my teen years, uh, standing in front of the mirror as the, the scales were tipping the, the wrong way yet again, and I was so mad at myself that I had let myself become this way and feeling like a failure that I had once again failed to try and get it together and, and, and get healthier or whatever it was and just drowning in that. And, and this was a constant source of this feeling of inadequacy for me. And I remember that night standing in front of the mirror just hating what I saw and being so mad at myself and just, I remember just punching myself in the stomach just because I just felt so upset with who I had become. Fortunately, God has... Had a, has significantly changed my heart and my life through the truth of his word and gospel. And, and so at whatever point you connect with this message today, you can see this undertone of inadequacy all throughout the history books. You can see it on media and social media. And throughout the Bible, you see it's influencing in different places. And so whatever point you connect with this message today, my goal is that you leave with the tools to live from a place of approval rather than living for approval. So we're going to be turning in our Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. And each week here, we're looking at this passage from a slightly different lens, which is really cool to be able to just see the depth of Scripture and how we can spend a whole month and just get so much out of a passage of Scripture. And we're going to be looking at this passage from the perspective of inadequacy. And we see this side-by-side -side example of Martha, who her... Uh, um, is living for approval by her actions, what she is doing for the people around her. And then we see Mary, who is living from a place of approval because of what Jesus is doing for her. 
So with that in mind, let's read through this story. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So you can see this undertone of inadequacy just sort of fueling her actions. You can almost hear the voices, the, in her, the background noise in her head. You're not good enough. Really, I, you're not that great of a host. And there's this cultural expectation that we need to, or that they should host the people coming in through town, provide food and lodging for them. And she's probably thinking, well, I need to make an extra special meal. I mean, this is Jesus and his disciples. So I want everyone to know that like, hey, when they stopped here, they're going to tell everyone how good of a host I, hostess that I am. And so she's doing all of these things and probably and drowning in all of the work to be done. And Mary's in the other room just sitting at the feet of Jesus. She wishes she could be there, but she's got to do all these things because I don't want people, she's thinking, I don't want people to think that I'm not a great host or that I'm not living up to this expectation. And so finally it boils over and she's like, hey, can someone just recognize what I'm doing? I, all of us have been in that place before. Hey, just look at me for a second and just say, hey, good job. Thanks for hosting us, right? And then Jesus' response is a little bit unexpected in this situation. And so we'll get to that part of it. But my first question from this passage is, is it possible that our actions are influenced by this feeling, this distraction of inadequacy at different times? So I have this, uh, a visual example to help make the point here. This mirror would be an example of just a clear perspective of when we look at ourselves in the mirror or maybe in our mind's eye, how we think of ourselves, of who we really are, a very clear and accurate picture. But then life's circumstances happen. The week doesn't go like we thought it was going to go. And all we can see now is failing. Maybe it's the constant criticism from our spouse or our coworker or our family members. Maybe we just are in a season of unemployment and we can't seem to find a job. Maybe we just feel like we dropped the ball again as a mom or a dad or uh, a friend. We just can't seem to get it together. We don't feel like enough in the places that we're helping out. Or maybe in this social media experiment that we live in, uh, maybe as we're looking at the best 5% of everybody's life that we know, and some people we really don't know, we compare 100% of our life to the best 5% of their life, and immediately we feel imperfect. We feel like a failure. We feel like not enough. We feel weak, faulty, failing. Mediocre at best. How can God use somebody like me? I don't have cool decorations in my house like that, and we sure don't take weekend trips like that every single weekend. And how could God use me? I mean, I'm, I'm flawed in so many different ways. I'm not gifted like that other person. And so what happens is that these labels then attach themselves to this, this picture of who we are. And so then when we look at ourselves, this is all that we see. And these labels scream out at us. You're not enough. 
You are flawed. You are a failure. You are weak and mediocre and constant drone in the back of our minds. Sometimes they scream out at us. And other times, they're sneaky. And they just creep in at the right time. Really? You think God could use you? I don't know. I'm sure there's someone far better that could be suited for that job. Really? You think you're a good parent? Let me, let me remind you of these things in your past. And so they persist in derailing us from the way that we really want to live. And so what do we do? We see these labels every time we think about ourselves. We see these labels every time we look at ourselves in the mirror. And so we want, since we see these all the time and they're throbbing in the background, we try and cover them up because we don't want everyone else seeing what we see. Right? And so we, we, we do different things to try and cover these up. And so I've made up some, in light of this whole like technology theme, I made up some hashtags of how this can play out. Some are laughable and some are painfully true, uh, but uh, hopefully, I, I'm sure there are some of you who will think, okay, yeah, I've been there before. So the first one, hashtag like, like, like. We've all done this before. We've posted a picture on uh, social media somewhere or a statement, and then we get like tons of likes for some reason, like hundreds of people liked our post and like six people shared it. And we get this little rush of approval and we're like, yeah, people like me, all right. And then it's like, well, I'm gonna share this then because they'll probably like that. And then look at all those likes, yes. I'm somebody now, right? And it sounds ridiculous when we say it, but really, that's what happens. And this can happen not in the social media realm. It can happen in real life interactions and things like that that we do. But we, we crave this approval from these different sources. And, and good for people being encouraging in this, this avenue sometimes. But my question is, is this a good place, a healthy place for us to find our sense of affirmation and approval? Or how about this one? Hashtag soulmate. If I could just find the one that completes me, then, then I'll feel whole and I'll, I'll feel totally approved. But then in the process of trying to find the one, we end up giving too much of ourselves in these relationships and finding ourselves continually in these toxic circumstances. Or in our friendships or social circles, we feel like we just kind of need to go along with something that's kind of like, I'm not really comfortable with that, but we just want, have, we want to have somewhere to belong to or at least have a friend. I've been there before. Or hashtag yes machine. We, we agree to do things because, you know, we, people know us as, you know, a servant, a servant person, someone who's always willing and always available, and we don't want to let them down. We don't want them to feel like we're not enough there. And so we get this, this rush of approval from saying yes, but sometimes it may not be healthy for us, or it may not be healthy for our family. It may be overcommitting us, whatever it is. Are these healthy places to find our sense of approval? Or how about this one? Hashtag on credit. Now, you know, I think we could probably skip over this one because I know that none of us here have ever purchased anything to make ourselves feel better or to feel like more. So we'll just skip over that one. How about this one? Hashtag dad likes it. If I could just have my parents' approval. I'm trying my hardest in math class and I'm still getting a B, but it's not enough. I just want my parents' approval for this career path I've chosen. I just want my, my parents to see me as a good parent. I'm trying my best, but it never seems like enough. Or hashtag 
you're my stepping stone. We've all been to Little League baseball games and Little Kid Wrestling tournaments, Pop Warner football, and we see sometimes there are parents throttling at the, uh, the umpire or their kids, whatever it is, and <clears throat> there's this sense that maybe they're finding their sense of worth and approval through their child's performance. Is that healthy? Is it best for the child or for the adult? Because it says something about me when my child does well. And this can even go further into constant verbal abuse, physical abuse, needing to prove ourselves and our, our position of authority in the household or in, in our workplace, that we need to show people that I, you know, we're the ones in charge. And it can create this unhealthy dynamic. And so my question is, are these healthy places for us to, to try and mask these? Because they're still going to be there. And, and when will it ever be enough? It won't. When we place our, our hope in these, these external places of approval, it will never be enough. And I think mostly for these three reasons, there's probably more, but these are the three I think that are probably most important. Approval or adequacy oftentimes rests in undefined terms. How many likes and shares on social media will it take? How much does, do we need to have in our bank account for us to feel like enough? How much weight do we need to lose? Or how much muscle do we need to gain? Or how much taller do we need to get as if we could control that to feel like enough? A lot of times we can't even put a number to it. And the other thing is more or less will never be enough. Once we get to that place, it's always, well, what's next? And then we get to the next place, well, what's next. We're having less and less and less and less of this, or more and more and more and more of this to find, feel like enough. And thirdly, and probably most importantly, when we live this way, we put the power of approval in the hands of many, many people, and not all of whom have our best interest in mind. And mostly this is monitored by assumption. Have you ever had this thought before? Now everyone at work is going to think that I'm crazy. Great. Or now everyone in my family is going to hate me because if once again, dot, dot, you fill in the blank, right? People are going to think, fill in the blank, right? We monitor these things by assumption, our feeling of value and worth in this. And the more we feed into this in this manner, the more it fuels the cycle, the louder these things get, the more we try to cover them up. And then we need to take value from the people and the places around us to try and continue to cover these up. And so we continue to take and take and take to get to seek that approval that, so that we can feel adequate enough. And as Jesus tells Martha and Mary, there is a better way to live. And there's only one thing that we should be concerned with, as Jesus puts it. And I think that if we look ahead to this passage in John 19, 28 through 30, in, in the final breaths of Jesus' life, he sums up in three definitive words, very powerfully and very poignantly, the one thing that we should be concerned with. So here we are in the final minutes of Jesus' life after he's been brutally beaten 
and, and flogged, and the, and the flesh in his back has been torn apart, and he's, he's had spikes driven through his wrists and his feet, hanging on the cross to die. And one of the most painful, excruciating things about being crucified, uh, aside from those, is that as you hang on the cross, it expands your lungs in such a way that you are literally suffocating to death in the midst of all of that pain. And you have to lift yourself up by the spikes driven in your arms to get a breath in. And so, in Jesus' final breaths, this scene plays out. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And, and a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips, almost in a mocking way. And if you can imagine that vinegar then just like running down into the open wounds and the searing pain of that, and it said, when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That the, the wine vinegar wet his throat just enough, gave him enough just to pull himself up, to pull in that final breath, to usher these final three definitive words that it is finished. That everything that was required by the law to be reconciled to God, to be seen as favorable in his sight, was finished. That the final stamp of approval would not no longer rest in the hands of men or women or any other power or authority in all of creation, but that the final stamp of approval would rest in the hands of the one true God so that we could see ourselves as God sees us, not as flawed, but as righteous, that we are no longer mediocre, but because of the fullness of God lives in us through the power of his Holy Spirit, we could be seen as exceptional when he calls us to do what he wants us to do, that we are no longer imperfect, that we are no longer powerless, but in our weakness, he is made strong, that we are no longer inferior, but we are seen as co-heirs with Christ, co-workers with God, as ambassadors of Christ. We are no longer weak. He has made us strong. We are no longer failing, but we are seen as favorable in the sight of the one true God. Limitations? I don't think so. Check out Ephesians there. We are not limited, but our God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could even think or ask or imagine. So then in all of these things, what Jesus was uttering on the cross on our behalf because of what he did for us was so that this final stamp of approval would be the only thing that remains when we see ourselves. God loves us into the depths of the deepest, darkest places of our hearts, the places we've never let anybody in before. And he's saying, when you follow me, this is how I see you. And he wants you to see yourself in the same way. And when we take this truth and live it out, this, this gem that Jesus gave us through his sacrifice on the cross for us, it allows us then to live from a place of approval rather than living for approval. So what does this look like? <clears throat> so I have, I have two simple application steps here of what we can do with this truth, of what Jesus did for us, and how we can apply this to our lives so that we can begin to live from a place of approval. And step number one is just identify the inadequacy. Identify when it comes about. Here's a couple like, questions to think about. Uh, where am I seeking approval or affirmation? Is it healthy? 
What experiences or events cause me to think less of myself? Do I find value through someone else's performance? Am I dependent on the success of others to see myself as worthwhile? And so the step is just, that, that's it. Just point it out. Identify it. Write it down. Where do you experience this? When does it creep in? Is it constant? Is it blaring in the background? Is it at the most inopportune times? Where do you experience this feeling of inadequacy? And that's it. Just have that conversation with somebody in your small groups, in your Bible studies, maybe with a trusted friend, whatever it is. There, it's amazing that when we can just point it out and get it out and, and say it, it, it loosens its grip on us. And so that's, that's the first step. The second step is replacing the lie with the truth, engaging the word. You've heard us, this is a, a core value of ours here at Orchard Hill Church. You've heard this, this phrase, engaging the word. And sometimes it's kind of easy to think like, well, what does that even mean, really? It's kind of like those just add water meals, like just add water and you have a five-course gourmet meal or instant mashed potatoes, one of the two there. And, and that's, what, that's what we're doing here is engaging the word in our life, confronting those labels with the truth, pushing those labels away with the truth of the word of God, of how God sees us so that we can realign our perspective with how we see ourselves, with how God sees us. And so I, I put together 20 verses, and Julie Cameron did an amazing job designing this card. I love the artistic touch here. Um, mine probably would have been in scribbled ink. So, um, <clears throat> but we have, uh, we have 20 verses here of wh- what God thinks of you, when you as you are a follower of Jesus, a Christian. These verses on the front and back, these are 20 starting places in the Bible that you can go to. And so my, my challenge to you is to take this resource and just go through one verse a day or two verses a day and just let God's word sink in. It, maybe just write it out in a notebook and then write your thoughts or pray about it or just, let, just think about it throughout the day. Wow, God sees me this way. This is what that means. When Jesus said, it is finished, that was for me, for these things. And it's easy, like, when we look at the Bible, like, there's a lot here, and it's confusing sometimes. And so this is, this is a great, these are a, a great places to start. You have 20 different starting points here to engage the Word in your life. I know for me, if I can just be totally honest, this week just felt like just kind of tumultuous a little bit. And so I just got up extra early each day this week before all of our kids got up, and I went through this one verse at a time, and I just wrote it out, prayed about it. And man, I'll tell you what, the life that that brought in my week was just, was, was great. It was overflowing. We have, we have some friends that they uh, just in the last year have, have started doing uh, foster care. And, and there was a, a situation where they're providing short-term care for a couple of kids. And uh, just, they welcome these kids in their home in, in probably the worst place of their life. It is like the worst circumstances of their life, and, and they're able to provide just this, this place for them to come. And it, it, their home ministry is just such a beautiful thing. I look up to them so much for that. But the mom was running to the store to get just clean socks and underwear for them so that they would have that to wear. And she was driving back, and she just felt totally overwhelmed with the whole situation, just thinking, I don't know what to, how to, like, what do I tell these kids? How can I bless them in this situation? I have no idea. And that, that feeling of inadequacy just began to rush in as she was responding to God's call to do something far beyond herself. And in a verse, 
she was reminded of, as someone shared with her earlier that week, Colossians 3.12, that she is holy and dearly loved. And she just began repeating that over and over and over in her head, that I am holy and dearly loved. I am holy and dearly loved. And these children are holy and dearly loved. And if God sees us as holy and dearly loved, then he will give us everything that we need to bless them, to empower them, to, to help them feel safe and loved in this situation. And it empowered her in that situation to not feel inadequate, but to feel powerful, to feel like enough, and to feel like they had what it takes to bless those kids in that situation. That is what it looks like to engage the word of God in our lives, not leave it on the shelf somewhere, but to bring it in to the everyday, real-life stuff that happens. And these are 20 things, 20 verses that we can bring into our life in those everyday circumstances. Put it in your Bible, put it on your mirror, whatever it is. If you remember nothing else I tell you today, engage the word in your life and start to see yourself like God sees you. And so when we do this, we put the power of approval in an unchanging truth rather than the ever-changing hands of the people and the media input around us. And this is what Jesus has called us to. This is where, how he has called us to have true and abundant life. Now, I do have a, a third like bonus application, okay? I'm, we're gonna like shoot for the moon here for a minute. Now, I, I've given you a lot here, those two steps. Like, if you do that, awesome, okay? But let's just paint the picture even bigger. What you're gonna find is that when you do this work to sort these things out, to live from a place of approval, you find that we are free to add value to others around us rather than take it for ourselves. Jesus has a long track record of using the unqualified, the last, the lost, and the least, and empowering them to do great things, to carry on the greatest secret uh, that has been known to humanity to do things far beyond themselves. And so just imagine as ambassadors of Christ what a marriage would look like if we no longer have to prove our worth and our value to our spouse, but if living from a place of approval, we can add value to the other person. Or imagine then what a family would look like where we can be adding value to each other rather than trying to prove ourselves to each other. Imagine what a workplace would look like, changing the dynamic where we no longer feel like we need to prove ourselves to everybody else, but living from a place of approval we can add value to them. Over the course of this month, over 2,000 people will hear this message and the other messages in this series. Imagine if we all did the work to live from a place of approval as followers of Jesus, seeing ourselves as he sees us. Imagine the effect that that could have on our community, on our culture, on our nation. There is nothing too big for our God. And if we respond with his word, engaging it in our lives, imagine the effect that he could have. All throughout history, he has used the, the unqualified, the complete completely inadequate to do extraordinary things until here it is, it rests in our laps as ambassadors of Christ. Will we then go forward and do the same? As we see unqualified, undeserving, will we then extend his love and grace to them to empower them to do what he has called us to do? Imagine what a life would look like living from a place of approval. This is where true life emerges and true change begins to happen. What would life look like living from a place of approval? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for 
your son Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, Lord, that we have been reconciled to you because of what he did on our behalf. God, that we could be seen as favorable in your sight. God, that we are seen as righteous, that we are sons and daughters of the one true God. And Lord, I, pray, I just pray that in this time of worship and in, in this, the rest of this day, Lord, this week, Lord, as we just sit and think about these things, I pray that you would realign our perspective, realign our thoughts and our minds to see ourselves as you see us, God, so that we may respond to you in the way that you desire. God, that we may live an abundant life for you as you have desired for us, Lord. God, we thank you so much for what you have done for us, Lord. You are good. In Jesus' name.